the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I really hang on to the words of God to Abraham. When God said this, I will make you a father. Did you ever notice those words? I will make you a father. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. And as a reminder, you can always turn into the live worship service held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. You're most welcome to be our guest, either online or in person. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Master Michael Oxentenko is entitled, I Will Make You a Father. The last time we were together, we brought you the first portion of this message. We will conclude it here today. And thank you so much for listening. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Sir, I was a get-it-done kind of lady who got tired of waiting on God to get it done. Any of those around? Don't raise your hand. Now, after all, God helps those who help themselves, right? The Bible doesn't say that. Benjamin Franklin, I think, said that. Not always, though. In Hebrew, the name Sarai has a masculine ending. And her name will later be changed to Sarah, which is feminine, princess. But it has a masculine kind of ending because it's her character. She's kind of like bulldogging her way through the weaknesses of her lackluster, laid-back husband. Sarai represents the independent type of strong woman who helps her husband get his act together when her man isn't strong enough to get it done. Right? But like Tammy Wynette. You ever hear of Tammy Wynette? Stand by your man. You've heard that, haven't you? It's iconic in our culture. I hear it in the elevator music. They still play it every now and then. I go, what a song. But like Tammy Wynette, whining away, she could sing Stand By Your Man as she diminished him by being overbearing in their family system. Many good women want to be the queen in their home. Is that not true? It's a good thing. My wife says, honey, I want to take care of my kitchen. I don't want you taking care of my kitchen. What she's saying is, I want to be the queen in my home. You may cook, but it's my kitchen. So many good women want to be the queen in their home, but some of them never let their man become the king in their home, a kind king. You can't be a queen if you don't have a king who recognizes you as a queen. Your husband can't have you as a queen unless you respect him as a leader, a king. And by the way, Peter says that Sarai learned to call Abram Lord in his home, to recognize his loving spiritual leadership in the home. So Sarah came up with a great idea on her own that Hagar, her Egyptian handmaid, would provide a child for her so Abram, 
her loving husband, who just does not get things done, could visit those taverns and be proud of his name, exalted father, when he drank plain water in front of those arrogant chieftains of Canaan drinking something else. She said, I'll get it done. Her idea was a common law way in those days for respectable women to have children when their wives were barren and unable. The Code of Hammurabi and other Mesopotamian literature shows just that this was real practical and legal in her time. Her idea was simple, of course. The assumption was that it was always the wife's fault that you couldn't, by the way, have a child. The law made provision for that. But in this case, it seemed to be Sarai's fault because Abram was fertile, as will be demonstrated by what Sarai came up with. And so Hagar conceived by him because Sarai said, look, here's my handmaid. Abram, I want you to have a child so bad. These Sumerian, Akkadian documents that are our code of law says this is appropriate. Forget God's law right now. It works. We came from that place. Take my Egyptian handmaid that I got down there when Pharaoh was eyeballing me real hard. And why don't you take her and she'll still be my kind of surrogate here. You'll have a baby through her. It'll be my baby in that suite. And we don't care too much about her. She's just a mechanism to get it done. And by the way, when it's over, kick her out of the tent. Now, oh me, look at me. Now, when it happened, Hagar looked at it differently. She says, I'm a mother. I was an Egyptian slave. And I'm the mother of Abram, this caravan, wealthy owner here in Canaan. And when she did that, she looked at Sarai with contempt. I imagine she says something like this. Oh me, look at me, I'm a mother, and what are you really? You're an old lady, you're an obsolete beauty queen. Look at those little gray hairs popping out of your head and falling out a little here and there, and those big hips too, getting bigger every day, Sarai. Look at how lovely I am instead of you. Well, you're pretty, but not pretty enough and not good enough to get the job done with Abram. In my tent, the lion roars, and he is a man again. In your tent, you roar, and he's nothing but a wimp. Huh. I'm the one, and you, you're something else. Definitely not the one. Abram and me, we got this lovely thing going together. Because of your very smart idea, Sarai, you are that obsolete and old woman on the way out. And we, Abram and me, are on the way up. For our good future and our great plans together with our son. You see, I got a bump on my belly. Things are happening for Abram because of me. When Sarai saw that and heard all that stuff, the Bible says she was angry. That Hagar had contempt for her mistress. She forgot the fact that she had come up with the idea. She just thought of Abram allowing it. The woman who tried to lead her husband in the end blamed her husband for her own idea that made everything worse. And she screamed at Abram. She said, the Lord judge between you and me. She uses the Hebrew verb deen. We get the word Daniel. God is my judge. She said, may God judge you because of this idea that you followed. Boy, poor Abram. He couldn't win. When Ishmael was born to Hagar, Abram looked to be at last the exalted father. He had a son, it seemed. But alas, his family was divided. His son was a half-breed mess. Sarah, his wife, was heartbroken. His marriage was in trouble. The brat with the child thought that she was the queen in the house here, a new Egypt for her. And Abram, with all his fear, was in a royal mess, just like the tower builders who had stopped building. He had gone through the same journey of failure in his life, and his life seemed scattered and gone. And where was God's promise for him? After these failures and after these disappointments, God comes to Abram at the age of 99. 
You know, I don't even know if I'll get there. Anybody know anyone 99 years old? God appears at the age of 99 to speak to him again as a strong friend. Sometimes people think their life is over when they get older. Abram's life began. He was able to do great things for God by his commitments in older age. Abram was a failure. And he was tired of trying hard, it seemed, and to make a future for himself. And so he was at his wit's end. His youth had turned to white hairs. His best energy was spent on conflict and pain in his own home. He hated having to say that name, Abram, exalted father, because nobody bought it. His son was a half-breed mess. There was nothing exalted about it. Genesis 17.1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. Now, I like this. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. He comes to him with this statement, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai. Abram, I don't need your help helping me. I don't need your help to help me figure out how to make your life a blessing. I am the one who gets things done in this universe. I make promises. I keep my promises. In case you didn't know it, I am God Almighty, man. Have you ever had a time in your life where you just didn't figure your life was going to work out for you? I've had times in my life when I've experienced deep depression, clinical depression. I've been through clinical depression as a human being. And it's just a fact. And I believe a good Christian counselor is a good thing to have when you're really depressed. This notion you can't seek out a good Christian counselor is ridiculous. When things hit you that are beyond your ability to fix and control, it's okay to seek out somebody who can help you in your walk with God. Hopefully there are people in the church, but if not, there are good people out there. But you know, one thing I found in my experience, to overcome depression... It's good to know that God is almighty. That what you cannot fix, God is in control of. What you cannot govern, God can direct. What you cannot produce, God can lead you to the productive future you desire. And even if your life runs a course which you didn't predict, and it goes down a road that you are ashamed of, God is there to give you glory and dignity and to make the outcome yet unseen his. Because when you grasp the concept that the Lord God is what he says, I am God Almighty, you have the way out of the woods in your life. I am the get it done God of the universe, Abram, and you are 99. The perfect age for me to show you that I can do what I have promised to do for you and in you. Look at verse 2. And God says, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. Now, that's what the Revised Standard says. The Hebrew doesn't say that. It says, Behold, my covenant is in you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Christ was in Abram already. The genetics of Christ was in Abram, moving toward the future. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. In verse 5, God doesn't say, I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. Do you see that? Notice the verse. He doesn't say, I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. He says, I have made you a father of the nations already. In this passage, the future is alive to God. Remember the passage of the burning bush when Moses was at the bush and God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember that? You don't remember it? Well, read your Bibles. It's just part of the Exodus story. God is talking to Moses at the burning bush and he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were dead. Now, Jesus picked up on that. When he was talking to the Sadducees, he said this. He said, this he spoke of the resurrection. 
because they are alive to him. Now the resurrection is in the future. Daniel 12, 1, at the final attack of the king of the north, time of the end, second coming of Christ, the resurrection occurs of the righteous. We haven't even seen that yet. And yet God speaks in the present of the future. Why? Because Jesus says they are alive to him in the future. You know, this business of absent with the body, present with the Lord immediately is not what the Bible teaches. We're absent from the body and present with the Lord in the resurrection at the end of the age. But God is there just like he's here. And because he's there, you see, our loved ones who die, they die and go to the future. And they're with God in the future when the resurrection occurs at the end of the age. That's when Paul says, I meet the Lord. I don't meet him right away. I meet him in the resurrection when Jesus returns. And so... From the future, God speaks to the past and says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, look, I have already pulled it off. I'm living in the future you don't even know exists because I'm not on the timeline. I'm the whole timeline. And I'm where you need to be already. I have made you a father of many nations. And let's apply this in our lives. We're trying to fix our lives. We're struggling with this and that. And God comes to us and he says, I've already fixed it for you. I've already brought the outcome you need. I've already perfected you because I'm living in a future where you make it. Where you make it. And we must believe to get there. That's why the spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride is the Holy Spirit. The bride is the new Jerusalem. The end of the millennium calls to us in time to come to the future already there. In this passage, the future is alive to God because God Almighty lives in the future. And the God of that good future is able to speak back in time to Abram for the good future to already come to him. I have already done it, Abram. I've already done it, man. You don't see it, but believe it. I am the get-it-done kind of God who has already done it. I am the I am. Past, present, and future. God visits Abram. And Sarai again, and the promise is made that in the spring, Sarai will have a son. The Hebrew text calls the spring the time of life. Sarai will be young again, and you too, Abram, you'll be young because I have made you a father for the time of life. I've already done it. It's in the future. And Sarai's son was born in the spring. They named him Isaac. What does Isaac's name mean? You all know? It comes from the Hebrew verb za'ak, which means to laugh. It's a verb. He laughs. So they named him Laughter. Michael Card has a song, Because He Came After, God Made an Impossible Promise Come True. When Sarai's son was born in the spring, they named him Isaac. Laughter, why? Because suddenly those tears, suddenly all that pain they were going through, suddenly that shame and this life they couldn't figure out made sense in the spring because Sarai, that old lady that shouldn't have a child, that old man who shouldn't be able to help, and that whole family messed up, suddenly God's child was born on God's timetable in a way that's impossible for the world to reckon. And these two old people sang in the night. I'd like to have been in their tent when that little baby was born. I'm sure Sarai didn't just sit there and say, well, I need four weeks to recover. She probably took that baby up and Abram put her arm and they started dancing with their little baby there in the tent saying, praise the Lord and singing. And everybody thought they were crazy. When they heard the baby cry, they knew they weren't. Abram is the forefather of the faithful. Abraham is our father as a faith mentor whose example of faith makes him our father. When I was a young father, I used to ask myself the question, how can I be a good dad when I don't have a good example in my life to work off of? I didn't have a father figure that was worth a cent. The father that was my stepfather was very abusive. He hid behind religion. He was known as a preacher, but he was no preacher. He was 
probably close to a sociopath in his mentality. And it was just very hard, really very hard to live with him. And so when I became a father, I had nothing really to work off of in my own thinking. I asked myself the question, how can I raise my two boys without a good role model in my life to mentor me? When I was 15, as I've shared with you before, God led me to my biological father, who had been recently converted just two months before he died. And I am so glad for that. It was the pivotal moment in my life where my life was redirected by divine providence. I didn't know he existed. I showed up at Fletcher Academy, and he was there in the hospital, dying. The name Leroy Oxentenko, there's only one of them in the country. I knew my dad was there. It was the life-changing event of my life. We will continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. So please stay tuned. If you would like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that at the close of our broadcast today. You can also attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend a live service in streaming format on that website. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. I had signed myself up to the school. I came there. had no money. I brought my dog Fang with me. They let him stay or I left. And that one day, that first day, my life was forever altered because I realized that God exists, that someone is looking at me. And I didn't figure it out theologically. I didn't know what the Bible, but I knew that God was there. And I arrived in his room just in time for them to anoint him. And I found myself praying and not knowing how to pray. There in that room. The timing of it is amazing to me. My father in that room led me to God and to Jesus. And I'm really glad for meeting him just before he died. He gave me the book Steps to Christ, which is the most eloquent book on how to have a relationship with Jesus written outside of the Bible. But after he died, just two months later, I remember standing at his graveside and pastor was preaching a sermon and says, now we command that his angels stand here until the resurrection. And I thought to myself, my goodness, that could be a hundred years or so. I kind of whispered, I said, if you're dad's angel around here, go ahead and go home to your buddies. He doesn't need you watching his gravesite. It rains a lot and gets cold out here. I was thinking practically. After he died, when I had children, I was in my early 20s, I was afraid that I would let God down in raising my two young boys. You can see why. I really hang on to the words of God to Abraham. When God said this, I will make you a father. Did you ever notice those words? I will make you a father. Friday, I got an unexpected letter from my other mother, who was my dad's second wife. I met her in that hospital room for the first time when I met my dad. I was like six and then I was 15 and I discovered he was alive. She sent me this card just two weeks ago. Beautiful card. It has a picture of a lighthouse on the front and I'll talk a little bit about it. Last week as I was pondering this insecurity in my life, I opened this Father's Day card that came just in time from my other mother named Margaret Jean. My mother's name was Bonnie Jean. So my dad married two ladies named Jean. Mima, who was Margaret Jean, had this to say. She said, Dear Mike, 
Many times I think of what your daddy would think of how things are today. I'm sure he'd be very proud of the man you turned out to be. It'll be an awesome thing in heaven when you meet him again. I wonder if sometime after eternity starts, if we will be able to see the steps we went through down here on earth. Yes, I know we will just keep on being forever joyful with the wonder of it all, but I kind of hope he can catch up on what he missed down here. I know, like all of us, that he will just praise God that his children are there. So I'm just here today to tell you in his place that I'm so thankful for everything about you, especially that you're a wonderful father. Then she has a heart at the end of the thing. That's the best Father's Day card I've ever received in my life. I sent it to my kids. Friends, we don't see ourselves as God sees us, do we? In our struggle in life's journey, we don't define who we are. Others do, and God does. Sometimes we are self-absorbed in the conflict of our own personal struggles. And we fail to see that God Almighty is doing a work in us and in our children's lives and for our wives and for our families that we can't visualize. But grace is on the move. God is on the move. That letter came just at the right time for me last week, just before Father's Day. I like the card. I'm looking at it. It says, a son is a joy that grows deeper, pride that grows stronger, love that touches your heart every day. It's a Father's Day card. I'm going to put this away in my hope chest and keep it for my grandkids and their kids. Is that a good thing to do? Yeah, it is. I think I'll do that. Okay. I like that card because Jesus is the lighthouse that shows the way for every father who needs to know the way. I don't have light in my life. I can't atone for my mistakes, but Christ gets that stuff done. So fathers, I challenge you in the name of Jesus Christ to seek out God Almighty on your knees Let him work in your life to get it done right as father. Ultimately, he is our father. God has called on you as the mentor for your children to strength and faith and purpose and obedience with no compromise. Compromise destroys your kids. Where I have compromised in my life, I have to rebuild from those mistakes with my children. At times, it will look like you fail when you hold the line in love and faith and you direct the path correctly. But men of faith, don't give up. And don't give up even if your children are adult children because you can mentor. Because being a father is hard, but it's your lifelong calling. Hang in there with God Almighty and let him make you a mighty father for him. Hang in there with God until the one who started the work in you gets it done for good and for your family and your children. See, God has made you for legacy. He's not made you just for the moment. Words matter. Do words matter? They do. Friend, fathers especially, never forget what God promised Abram when he spoke to him. The Lord said, I am God Almighty, and I have made you a father. I have made you a father. I have made you a father. And you know, if you don't have kids, you're a mentor in the church. Don't you think it doesn't matter? If you don't have kids, you are a father as you age because you affect the youth of the church by your love for kids. I want you to know this, that my kids are grown. Maybe some of you don't have a father. Let me kind of fill in the gap a little bit with you. Because I'm a father. I have to be a father to be whole with God. And I like fishing too. God says, I've made you a father. I've made you a father. 
So be one and never look back and do not apologize for the high and lofty calling and the privilege of being a father. God bless you. Dear Father God, thank you so much that you are an awesome dad. Thank you for loving us as if there's no other person in the universe. Thank you for taking your best son, your eternal son, and putting him on the scale. And there you placed us, and you found us just as important to you as your eternal son. Father, may the person who has come here not feeling worthy of grace realize that Jesus died for them, that God's grace is real and alive, that there's a future and a hope, and you're already there because you live in the future. And may they plant their faith in you like Father Abram. And Father, for the precious fathers of this church, we're living in an age that tells them they can't be a father, they can't exercise strength for their children's sake. May they not listen to the foolishness of the times in which we live, but be strong, loving, consistent, dependable fathers for the glory of God and for their children and wife's sake. And Father, we pray that every mother in the home will be a queen, but Father, every father a king, and every one of the little children, princes and princesses in a family that is royally loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. That will conclude I Will Make You a Father. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Many of these messages are available for you at reachingyourheart.com. We invite you to go there now if you would like. Enjoy the rest of your day. We would really love it if you would join us for our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock and Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. either online or in person. If you would like to join us in person, the address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you are certainly welcome to join us online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.